0: You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Hey, today I'm going to talk about a topic that has a lot of confusion around it many times. Uh, We're going to talk about what does it mean to have the fear of the Lord? the fear of the Lord. Uh, scripture talks about the fear of the Lord all through Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament It is a crucial thing. The title for today's message is Fear God, Not Man. Fear God, not man, not people. We should have a reverent fear of the Lord. What exactly does that mean? That's a great question. We're going to dive into it. But I would say this before we get into it. Um, we live in a very offendable culture. I think that's a word, offendable culture, right? Where um, you know this, if you stand up for what you believe in, if you stand up for your beliefs, you risk offending someone. Uh, If you're a business owner, you risk being sued, you risk being canceled. In many extreme cases, you risk having your business burned down or something like that. Uh, We live in a very offendable culture. And because of that, I think what happens is many times believers are hesitant to stand up to uh, the evils of the things that we see that are against God's word, whether it's in the world, whether it's in culture, whether it's something that's being pushed on us, whatever it might be, we are many times hesitant because we don't want to offend someone. Well, if we do that, it reveals that we have a fear of people more than we have a fear of the Lord. And Jesus said this in Matthew ten twenty-eight. He says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him, that's God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. This is not one of those verses that you have hanging up in your in your uh, house, right? <laughs> it's a, but, it's, but it's something that we can learn from. I'm not here to fear man and what man can do to me. I am here to walk in a reverent fear of the Lord. So we don't live in fear of people, but we are called to live with that reverent fear of the Lord. And this concept is all through scripture. And so we're gonna talk about it. Point number one is this, if you're taking notes, first fill in the blank, is the fear of the Lord is essential. The fear of the Lord is essential, meaning this, it is a foundational thing that we must have as we walk with Jesus every single day. It's not a negotiable thing. It's not something that I should have coming and going. It is something that I should live my life with on a regular basis. The fear of the Lord is essential, and it's essential for the success of God's church. We've seen this in the very beginning of the first church as it is birthed and it is launched, and as it's turning the world upside down, the fear of the Lord was essential for their success. But even in the Old Testament, from the beginning of time, the fear of the Lord was essential for the success of God's people, and nothing has changed today. It is still essential. In fact, look at Acts 2. This is talking about the first church. church Acts two forty three 43 it says, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. What we're not talking about, scripture says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. We're not talking about a fear that is creepy and spooky and that keeps me locked up or froze up and I don't ever want to move because I'm just too afraid of what life is going to throw at me next. That's not the fear that we're talking about. We're talking about a reverent Fear, a reverent respect. And and what scripture shows us is that this is not a bad fear that we're talking about. It is a righteous fear of the Lord, which opens the door to the miraculous. What, What do we see first? Fear, the fear of the Lord came upon every soul. Then what happened? It was an open door to many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. What does that mean? It's a foundational thing, it's essential. For the first church, it was a foundational thing that now that we have and we understand the living God, who he is, we have this reverent fear of the Lord. And because of that, now God can spiritually build off of this foundation that is in our life. The fear of God is not a bad thing. It is a righteous thing. And what's amazing is that scripture shows us that it's full of promises and the fear of the Lord is full of blessings. When we have it in our life, it's full of promises and blessings. Look at Proverbs 9, verse 10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I don't know about you, but I need wisdom. I, I got to have it, right? Have you ever been in a decision where you don't know what to do? Am I supposed to marry this person? Am I not? Am I supposed to quit this job and take that job? Or am I not? Am I supposed to uh, continue doing this? Am I supposed to get that degree or not? Am I supposed to be you know friends with this person? Whatever it is, I, we need wisdom in our lives. What am I supposed to do with my business? What am I supposed to do with this relationship that I have? We need wisdom. Where's the beginning of wisdom? It's the fear of the Lord. And what's great is the wisdom is not man's wisdom. It's God's wisdom. It is the wisdom that is beyond even our understanding that he can reveal things to us so we know what to do. Proverbs fourteen twenty seven says, the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. It is the fountain of life, meaning this, it refreshes my life and it gives me eternal life. It refreshes my life here on earth right now in this place, but it also gives me eternal life, where I have refreshing eternal life for all of eternity. Proverbs 22, 4 says this, true humility and fear of the Lord leads to riches, honor, and a long life. Amen, somebody, right? Like I'll take take those things, right? All three of those things. What? Riches, honor, and a long life. Life, Meaning this, when I have the fear of the Lord and I walk in it daily and I understand what it is, and I let it be an essential part of the foundation of how I'm building my life, what I'm, how I'm building my home and my family and my kids. When I allow the fear of the Lord to be essential in my life, it brings blessing and it brings favor from God, not because of um, how great I am. It's simply because the fear of the Lord helps me walk in obedience to God's word, which leads to blessing and favor being poured out in my life. The fear of the Lord is essential. I heard a pastor say it this way. Okay, so let's talk about what exactly is the fear of the Lord. One pastor gave this equation. This is point number two, if, you have, if you're taking notes. He said, loving God plus respecting God is fearing God. Loving God plus respecting God equals fearing God. And if you think about it this way, did you ever have a, uh, a favorite coach, a favorite teacher, maybe one of your parents, your mom, your dad, that you just loved and you would do anything for. It might be easier to think about a coach or a teacher even. And you just say, man, they stood out. They are somebody that I would you know, love to tell, say thank you to. Like they are just somebody that has literally changed my life. If you have that person in your life, this equation would apply probably to that relationship. The first thing is that you love them. Why do you love them? You love them probably because they got on your level And they pulled out some strengths in you. They put faith in you. They encouraged you whenever your head was down. They lifted your head up and they said, hey, you're gonna get through this. Hey, I believe in you. Hey, I know you're going through a tough time right now, but you're gonna get through this. They put faith in you. And what happened? They revealed their love towards you and and they could see in you the things that needed to be built up. And so because they loved you, what? You loved them in return. Man, I know they have my back. I know that I could go to them even with something that's not sports related if they're my coach and I know that they're gonna help me out with no strings attached. You loved them, but you also respected them. Meaning this, you respected their authority or their position. So it wasn't that you might've been able to joke around. I had several football coaches that I could joke around with when I played uh, football in high school and I could joke around with them. But at the end of the day, I knew that there was a line that I would not cross to disrespect them. I could joke around, we could tiptoe around the line, but I knew if I ever crossed the line of disrespect that they were going to drop the hammer on me. You know what I'm talking about? You, have, you, know what I'm, you know, if you have a parent or a coach where it's just like, we can have fun, but we're also not equals. We're not on the same level, right? My parents did a good job of this. We understood that I, from early on, they weren't my friends growing up. They were my parents. Now we, can, we are friends, Now I still go to them with things that I I would trust a best friend with. We have a relationship. But growing up, they were my parents, not my friends. And I knew just like a coach, just like a teacher, there is a line that you don't cross. I am not on the same level as you. And so I had respect for them, which led to a healthy fear, a healthy respect, a healthy honor of that person. It's the same way with God. This is an easy way or an easier way to understand what is the fear of the Lord. So the first thing is this, we love God. Loving God. Why do we love God? Simply put, (laughs) there's many reasons, but simply put because he first loved us. He first loved us. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Meaning this, while we were still far from him, hating him, not knowing him, while mankind was nailing him to the cross, spitting on him, he said, yep, I still love them. And so what did he do? He, He still went through, followed through with his side of the covenant and he said, I am still going to go and because I love them so much, I will make a way for them to be in my family. I love them. What does God do? He looks at you and he gives you identity he gives you talents and gifts and he says, you're a child of God. You're not what you know, so-and-so has called you. You're not what that person has called you. He says, I'm gonna bring you into my family just like that coach probably did whenever you were down the dumps and they pulled your strengths out of you. That's what God does through his words. He says, look, look here and understand that you have so much in you. You are a child of mine. And he pulls that out and he says, I love you enough. And so what, God loved us so much that my only response is I, I can't help but love him in return. He's done so much for me. Why do we respect God, though? That's the second one. Loving God plus respecting God. Why do we respect God? That's an interesting question. Maybe one we haven't really thought about before. Why do we respect God? A simple, or a simple way of saying it is because he is righteous, he is holy, and he is a just God. He is righteous, he is holy, and he is a just God. God. Hebrews 12, 28 says it this way. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. Our God is a devouring fire. Why are we worshiping him with a holy fear and with awe, with amazement is what it's talking about. Why am I doing that? Well, he's given us a kingdom that is unshakable. And so we should respond with thanksgiving, but also we have to understand what does fire do? Fire purifies. He is a purifying God. Everything he touches, he reveals the genuineness of it. And someday our lives, no matter what we've done with our lives, all the things we've done in our lives, he will reveal through fire the things that really mattered and the things that just get burned up and we wasted our time on. He is a consuming fire. fire also talks about judgment. What is he? He is an honest judge. He is a perfect judge. He is a pure judge. Why do I respect God? He's a consuming fire. Uh, David said this in Psalm 7 and verse 11. He said, God is an honest judge judge. He is angry with the wicked every day. He is, if a person does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He will prepare his deadly weapons and shoot his flaming arrows. Yikes, right? Not one of those that you're hanging on your wall, right? Here's another one, but let's get perspective here. What is David revealing to us? He's revealing that God is holy. He is holy. He's so pure that there, it cannot be an ounce, a shadow of wickedness or sin anywhere near or in his presence. But you would think David writing this, you would think that this would be something that would uh, be a negative for David to write. But look at David's response. And just a few verses later in Psalm 7, verse 17, David wraps up this thought, he wraps up the Psalm and he says, I will thank the Lord because he is just. He's saying, I will thank the Lord because he takes his wrath out on wickedness. I will thank the Lord because he is just. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. David shows thankfulness to an honest and a just judge. Why is that important? If God is honest, if he is judge, if, if he is a pure judge, we have to understand that's a very good thing. It means he cannot be corrupted, He cannot be bought. He cannot be paid off or manipulated. He is always perfect, always honest, always just in all of his doings. He is always going to balance the scales of justice. Always. Because of that, that is a very good thing for us. (laughs) Because of that, we have the ability to be in the presence of God. Why? Because we sinned and we had no right to be in his presence, but he sent his son Jesus to come and to what? Pay the price we should have paid and be an honest judge and say, yes, the price that Jesus paid was sufficient for our sins. So the scales of justice can be balanced once again. And now, He is an honest judge that allows me to come in. Here's what's what's great. We read Psalm 7 and it says that he's angry with the wicked every day. If they don't repent, he's gonna sharpen his sword, get his bow ready, right? All of his deadly weapons. Here's what's encouraging for us. He, God, the holy God poured out his wrath on Jesus so that you and me can go free from that punishment. So that's the good news. Why do I I put my faith in Jesus? Guess what? God is an honest judge. He can't, if my faith is in Jesus, he will not punish me for my sin and Jesus for my sin. That's two, that's unjust. He said, no, the the price Jesus paid was sufficient to pay for my sin. How good is our God? Do we deserve that? Nope, (laughs) Not, not at all. We don't come close to deserving that. But he said, I love you that much. I love you that much. That if you would just repent, change your way, change your thoughts, which means change your way Come to me, ask for forgiveness, receive the gift of salvation, which is free. You don't have to earn it. If you would do that, he says, I can balance the scales of justice in your life. He is a just God. Why do I respect God? Isaiah 55 says this. He says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Why do I respect God? Uh, a, a easy way of saying it is he's God and I'm not, right? He's capital G, God, and I'm not. He's the living God and I'm a mere human. I am created in his, his image. I have value, absolutely, but he's God and I am not God. We are not gods. He is. He is king of kings. He is lord of lords. His thoughts are higher. His ways are higher. His perspective is higher and his will and his timing is perfect. I respect him because I understand that that is true no matter what I face in my life. Lord, I respect and I honor. Your thoughts are higher. Your ways are higher. So we love God because he first loved us. We respect God because he is a devouring fire, a righteous judge whose thoughts and ways are higher than mine. And because I love God and I respect God, I now have a reverent fear of God. A reverent fear, a reverent respect of who God is. The next point is this, the fear of the Lord requires complete devotion. Point number three, the fear of the Lord requires complete devotion. So we begin to understand what exactly does it mean to fear the Lord. Lord, I love you, I respect you, and I honor you. And so, Lord, I want to do everything I can to be devoted to you. If you take it back to the example of that coach that you might have had in your life, that teacher you might have had in your life, and you would do nothing to backstab them. You would do nothing to disobey them. You do nothing to make them look bad. You would do nothing uh, to turn people against them. You would be devoted to them in that relationship because of how much they mean to you. In in a similar way, but a greater way, this is how we are with God. In today's world, we're encouraged uh, to customize everything, right? You do you, (laughs) do whatever's best for you, do whatever you want. And who am I to tell you that that's wrong? That's what our culture says. That's what the world says, right? Who am I to tell you that that is sin and that you're going to, you know, if you don't change your ways, you're going to go to hell. Who am I to say that? That's what culture tries to tell us. And we live in this customized world where it's just like, do what's best for you and everything else. It's just all going to work out and it's all going to be fine. That is a very dangerous road to walk on when we let culture run with that idea because that will inevitably, if we're not careful, it bleeds into Christianity. And what we get is customized Christianity. And this is dangerous. Customized Christianity. Meaning we take the parts that we like of scripture and we overlook the things that are tough, the tough verses, the stretch verses, the ones that make me actually have to change my ways verses. We often overlook those, some of the verses that we've been reading today. You don't have those memorized, most likely, but those are the verses that we must talk about in order to have balance in our approach to our devotion to our Heavenly Father. It's not always easy. It's not always every meal. Think of it as a spiritual meal. Every time I get into this, into God's Word, it's a spiritual meal. And in the natural, if all I'm eating is ice cream and cheese puffs and and soda, am I gonna be a healthy physical body? No. If all I'm ever doing when I'm feasting on the word of God is taking in the sweet stuff, the feel-good stuff, the you know, guilty pleasure stuff that makes me feel good about myself, but I'm never taking in the stuff that's a little bit harder to chew and digest and swallow and then apply to my life with action to grow my spiritual muscles, if I'm never doing that, I will only ever be spiritually unhealthy. But God is calling his church to consume his word, receive all of it, the good stuff too, the sweet stuff too, but with the meat as well. And in doing so, I'm not customizing Christianity. I'm saying, Lord, what do you have for me? And if there's something in here that I don't agree with, I will know that I'm wrong and you are not because your word says that it's true. If I approach it that way, God can work in my life. And I'm not walking in a customized Christianity world. We take the parts that we like, we overlook the tough tough things. We say things like this. Well, I'll take the love of God, but I don't really want to talk about his wrath on unrighteousness, right? I will take the mercy of God, but I don't want his judgment. I will take the blessings of God, but I want to talk about the whole take up your cross, crucify your flesh and follow him part. I want God's plan and his best for me, but I'm not willing to walk in sexual purity, right? I hope God works all things together for my good, but I'm not willing to give up that addiction that I have, that alcohol that is ruining my family, that uh, unhealthy thing that I keep going back to. I'm not willing to give that up, but I hope God works all things together for my good. You see, that's an unhealthy way to approach our meals in God's word. We can't customize Christianity. Customized Christianity, it reveals that I believe in God, but I don't fear God. I acknowledge that he's God. I believe in him, but I don't fear him. And James said it this way in James 2.19. He says, you, have, you say that you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. <laughs> even the demons believe this and they tremble in fear. You believe, <laughs> good for you. I love this translation. Good for you, wow. Very sarcastic if you don't, I'm picking those up, those tones, right? Good for you, even the demons believe. He, he goes on to talk about what are you doing with your faith? You say you believe in God, but how are you living? Are you backing it with fruit? Are you doing something with the life God's given you? And if in doing so, it helps me walk in a reverent fear of the Lord to say, Lord, I don't just, I believe in you, most important, but Lord, I fear you enough to back it with action and put feet to my faith every single day. Psalm 36, starting in verse one, it says this. It says, Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God at all. In their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. This is where it gets dangerous. Because sin will whisper, do whatever you want. But scripture declares less of me and more of him. Right? Sin says, you're fine. You do you. It's, it's, it's fine. It's no big deal. Sin whispers, as long as you're a good person, you'll make it to heaven. But scripture declares that unrighteous living cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Sin whispers, well, it's your body. It's just, it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. You do whatever you choose to do. But scripture declares that you are not your own and your body is a temple of the precious Holy Spirit. Sin whispers, this is just an old book. It's got a lot of sexist undertones in it. It's really not relevant anymore. Scripture declares Jesus is the word of God and no one comes to the Father except through him. See, the fear of the Lord, we have to understand this. Hear my heart in this. The fear of the Lord is not, you better, that phrase, turn, turn or, or burn, right? It's not turn, if you don't turn from your ways, you're gonna burn in hell. It's not that. But the fear of the Lord is also not do whatever you want and everything's going to be fine. It's a balance between the two. It's always a balance between the two. The justice of God is true, but it's incomplete. The grace of God is true, but it's incomplete. Jesus said he is grace and truth. And if I get too far into one ditch, it's no longer Jesus that we're preaching and living out. You see, for every mile of truth, there's two miles of ditches. And this is the battle to stay in the middle of the road. For every mile of truth, there is two miles of ditches. And so many times we get off into grace. Well, it's all covered, man. You do You live your life however you want, or it's all truth. If you mess up once, you're going to hell. If you had a bad thought, you're going to hell. And it's, it's, it's all confusing, and people don't understand. Jesus is the middle. John 1, 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And thank God for it. Thank God for it. To have the fear of the Lord is to be devoted to Him and to be devoted to His Word no matter what. No matter what. And that last phrase, no matter what, is where we understand, do I have the fear of the Lord or do I not? Am I operating in this or am I not? Because if walking and in, in being devoted to God and His Word, if it costs me that friendship, will I continue to honor God? If it costs me my influence, will I continue to honor God? If it costs me the job that is asking me to do unethical things, but it's a good paycheck, will I honor God no matter what? If it, if it costs me that relationship with my boyfriend, that girlfriend, whatever it is, will I honor God or will I, or will I not? No matter what I think, no matter what I've been told, no matter what culture says, no matter what's uncomfortable, am I devoted to my God, the living God, and His living, holy word. Let me wrap up with this. Point number four, the fear of the Lord is revealed through obedience. It's a piggyback of the last one. It's revealed through obedience. Simply put, when I fear the Lord, I will obey him. When I fear the Lord, I will obey him. The greatest example that we see of this in scripture is, is likely Abraham. Abraham and Sarah in their old age, they are still believing for a child, for offspring. They're believing God, they want a son, they're praying for a son and finally God shows up and he promises them a son. God delivers and he says here and he gives them the time and in due time, in God's time, he delivers on exactly what he said he would do and they have their promised son. Once they have their son, God asks him to sacrifice his only son. Now let me make something clear. God is not in the business of human sacrifice. He's not in the business of human sacrifice at all. But God is a just God. He's a honest judge, a pure judge. And we have to understand that when somebody would cut a covenant with someone, it requires equal sacrifice. So God is saying, I'm gonna give my only son on my side of the covenant. And he's looking for, is there a human who would make covenant with me and give their only son to honor this covenant so that we can get into cut cut the covenant together. And in doing so, we go into covenant with our living heavenly father. But God stops Abraham before he sacrifices his only son. Before I get to this next point here, let me just say this. Our God is amazing. He was never going to require that Abraham sacrifice his only son. He saw in Abraham's heart that he was willing to do it. But Jesus is called the son of God, but he is also called the son of Abraham. He is the son of God and he is the son of Abraham. And little do we know that thousands of years later, what would happen is that Jesus would die in the very spot that Abraham was gonna sacrifice his son. Thousands of years later, Jesus would die on that very spot. How? As the son of God for this side of the covenant, and as the son of Abraham on this side of the covenant. And what does God do in that moment? He makes covenant with himself, but he invites us into it. You see how God does all the heavy lifting? <laughs> he said, My, He said, Jesus is sufficient for both sides of this covenant. I just need to know that you're willing. God is so good. Genesis 22, Abraham is going to kill his son. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, which is promised son from me, the greatest evidence of the fear of the Lord is complete obedience to the Lord. The greatest evidence of the fear of the Lord is complete obedience to the Lord. And here's what I would say, not delayed obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Amen, amen, parents, right? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Delayed obedience is disobedience. I told you to do it, you do it now. Not partial obedience. Partial obedience is disobedience, but complete and immediate obedience. So the question now is, what has God been asking me to lay on the altar of my life? What is that thing that I'm hanging on to that is keeping me from fearing the Lord? But when Abraham said, I'm willing to do whatever my living God asked me to do, it revealed what God said, now I know you fear God. You were, you were willing to sacrifice your most prized thing, possession to me. If you want to know if you fear God, we got to take inventory of our life. Do my words, do my attitudes, do my actions, do my lifestyle, does my social media, does it honor God and obey him or do I grieve the Holy Spirit with how I live? Scripture says in Ephesians 4, 430, do not bring sorrow to or do not grieve God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. When I fear God, I obey God. Fear of the Lord is not a bad thing. In a world that tiptoes around and doesn't want to offend anyone, I pray that we would be passionately and wholeheartedly serving and fearing the Lord, not people. Fear God, not man. Fear the one that can kill body and soul. Don't fear the ones that can only kill your body. That's what Jesus said. The fear of the Lord is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. It's a righteous thing that is full of promises and blessing, the beginning of wisdom, the fountain of life. And it is something that brings honor and or favor and blessing in our life. I would say it this way, the fear of the Lord is this ongoing attitude of my heart that moves me to choose to obey God over and over again when it would be easier to do something else. It's this attitude of my heart That moves me. Lord, I'm gonna obey you over and over again when it would be easier to do what everyone else is doing, when it would be easier to disobey, when it would be easier to wait and obey later. Lord, I fear you. I love you. I respect you, so I fear you. And in doing so, Lord, I will do anything you ask me to do. God is looking. His eyes are running to and fro through the whole earth looking for those types of people who say, Lord, we love you. We respect you. Therefore, we reverently fear you. And because I fear you, I will submit every area of my life. And the greatest evidence of the fear of the Lord is complete obedience to the Lord. Because we fear the Lord, remember, we will experience a fountain of life that God desires for us. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of closeness with him. It's the beginning of riches, of blessing, of favor. God can go to work in my life. But when it starts with me acknowledging, Lord, you're not just the Lord of my life on Sunday, every day. From the moment my feet hit the ground every morning, Lord, I love you. I respect you. Help me walk in the fear of you today. Bring honor to your name. And would you bless everything I put my hand to. If we'll commit to that, we'll be blown away at what God will do in our life. We will taste and see all the goodness that God has for us. What an honor to be able to walk with the living God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you once again for your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is a light for us. It's a lamp to us. So we know how to navigate through this life. Lord, I just pray for any one of us in here right now. Lord, if we are in here today, and we have become complacent with our walk with you. We've allowed things to come into our life that don't need to be there. If we've come into a place where we're just casual, static, comfortable in our Christianity, Lord, I pray that you would stir up and remind us to have the fear of you, this reverent fear, not a bad fear, but a good fear, a healthy fear, a respect, Lord, an honor, a love relationship with you. Lord, because in everything we do, we don't want to grieve your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to bring honor to your name, to live above reproach and to walk holy as you are holy. And so Lord, I just ask you, would you give us the strength to do it this week? Give us the ability to remind us of your word as you, you said your Holy Spirit would and help us walk in all that you have for us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen.